I would like to have some guys around me who wanted to follow Jesus with as much passion as I do, but I don't see them. It looks like there's kind of interested, they're kind of nice guys, and I can't find much more than that. What can I do? My answer to that question is really simple. Make them. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. What's what's on for sure is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. It is on. Oh, it's right. on. Okay, it's on. well, I hadn't planned to talk about this, but I'm on camera and I'm holding up the cup that I just happen to be drinking out of right now. And I'm looking at it and it's 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 a Texas A&M cup and it actually says the home of the 12th man. There's a 12th man legend, which is that the 12th man, he actually came out of the stands at a rice game in 1921. <clears throat> Didn't have to play in the game, but was willing to play and he suited up just a regular old guy. And this is the 100th anniversary of the 12th man legend, which I'll just say and I think about the 1989 edition of Zondervan's uh, new international version of the Bible. They used the 12th man in the Bible as, as a picture of someone who came out of nowhere as a parallel for uh, Melchizedek, who came out of nowhere. It was this mystery guy. Anyway, so we made the Bible. I feel pretty good about that. And uh, I'll just say the Aggies this year, they lost their starting quarterback to injury. They lost a couple of games because they lost their starting quarterback to injury. And then they did something amazing just a couple of days ago. They, they as an unranked team, they beat the number one team in the nation. Could, could we say they stemmed the tide? I'm sure that headline was used in some local newspapers. Okay, continue. They, they beat the, the Crimson Tide of Alabama, which is a mascot I don't understand. I don't know what a tide... I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know the significance that it has to Alabama. I don't know what it has to do with an elephant because I know they, they like elephants also as, an, as a symbol of the team, but that's not what they call the team. It's not, it's not the elephants. I don't even know what the elephant has to do with the team. There are no elephants in Alabama. I don't know what you call one player on the team. He is, is he a wave of the tide? Is he a droplet of the tide? I don't know. I don't know how that works. I also just throw out here, we have family that have uh, deep connections to uh, uh, Auburn. I don't know what they are. They're supposed to be tigers, but they their their little yell is war eagle. So it's an eagle or a tiger. It's a wave or an elephant. I don't know. We know what we are. We're farmer. We're farmers. And, and the nickname for a farmer is an Aggie, and that's what we are, and we won the big game. So I'm starting off with that. Kudos to our team. Forgive me for the rant. Well, can I just, you know, while you were talking, I had the advantage of, of Google. And <laughs> let, let me read from you. <laughs> is there, there's no orders corner this week, is there? Well, I was going to see what kind of time we had. I have, I have an orders corner in my pocket. Okay. Well, we, we did get uh, <laughs> an email singing the praises of orders corner oh, today. Oh, yes. Oh, yep. that delights me. I did not know that. That's great. Um, because as we're recording this, the first orders corner ever just released. That's today. right. We're actually not at our usual time of recording. We're recording on a Wednesday. And so that's... Yes. The people got a new podcast today, but yes, um, and I got an email um, affirming our. It wasn't a takedown; it was a story of Lavar Burton, which that was nice. Oh yeah, that's funny. I, the, I, that has colored every time he's come up mm. since then. I've thought, well, that guy's kind of a perv. Yeah, um, yeah, a skell. But uh, sports writer Everett Strupper in 1930 uh, at the Atlanta Journal was right was covering the Alabama football team and he if says you're, if you're going to read a direct quote from who is it Strepper 
Everett Strupper. From Everett Strupper. I, I want you to try to read it in a 1930s radio broadcaster voice. Tell me what Everett might have said in 1930. That Alabama team of 1930 is a typical Wade machine. Powerful, big, tough, fast, aggressive, well-schooled in fundamentals, and the best blocking team for this early in the oh, season yeah. that I have ever seen. Yeah. When those big brutes hit you, I mean, you go down and stay down, often for an additional <laughs> two minutes. <laughs> I question I question that. But yeah, it was an overstatement. Um, let's let's just get to the to the gravy of this okay little, all right here all we right. go at the end of the quarter the earth started to tremble there was a distant rumble that continued oh to grow some excited fans in the stands bellowed hold your horses the elephants are coming and stamped oh out my. this alabama varsity oh my okay so that writer said they were Everett like elephants Strupper. He said that they were like elephants because they had beaten Mississippi 64 to zero on that day. And oh, they, wow. Ever since then, the elephant has been uh, emblematic of the Crimson Tide. Okay. I don't have a problem with that. Where did Crimson Tide come from? They should be the elephants. Well, the elephants became the red elephants to Strupper and other sports writers, and it caught on that season. The linemen, a.k.a. Big Brutes from Tuscaloosa, <laughs> went on to finish that season 10-0 and um, to earn their third <laughs> national championship. Alabama has won a lot of national championships. Side note, they have not caught up to the team that has won the most national championships in the history of the United States, which would be the... Gosh, give me a second. It's not Princeton. Indeed it is, Stephen. Indeed it is. More national Oh, my goodness. I will say. That's great. There's an asterisk if you look this up on Wikipedia because the first national championship they won, there were two football teams in the country. One was Rutgers down the street from Princeton and the other was Princeton. They played one regular season game and Rutgers beat them. And then they decided to have a national championship and Princeton won that game. That was national championship number one. Uh, that is great. We haven't won a championship in the last hundred years or so, but we do have a substantial lead back in the days when right, there was right. only like six colleges. You've got a backlog of championships. Right. We might never get past, uh, although Alabama, I think, is creeping. So, oh, boy. Um, All right. Back. To sorry for the Sorry for the football talk here at Abraham's Wallet. Yeah. Well, your your little sports rant there has kind of cleared the way for me to to give you a bigger uh, rant slash update on my past week. I, I just got okay. back from some travel, and I was traveling with my family to Disney World. The most wonderful place in the world. The magical, the magical thing of kingdom. place, yes. Yeah. And... We we had if you have some, a rant, I'm interested because this is yeah. an American issue. What what happens when one goes to a Disney? We did have travel issues getting there. You may have heard of the the air traffic controller strikes and pilot strikes and things like that that led to us spending the night in Atlanta um, unexpectedly and I will I'm going to give Disney some credit here because they made it very easy to bump all of our park reservations back a day uh, nice. to accommodate our delayed arrival so that was nice um, and I went to Disney last at age 11 oh wow which is how old my oldest that was the last right time now. you so were at a Disney a yeah well let me ask you this okay. did you find it Delightful and nostalgic to go back on the Peter Pan ride and the Winnie the Pooh ride and that kind of stuff. Um, no. Oh. But I think I was a bit of a strange kid because at the time I went to Disney as a child, I also thought, "What the heck is the hype about here?" Um, I don't know. It. It. So, the average <laughs> line at Disney. I don't know if you know this because. Are you, do you have a Disney vacation coming up too? I do next month. So, about a few weeks before we arrived, until a few weeks after we have left, they have this 
uncanny valley in which there is no option for fast pass or any sort of line yes. optimization. It's yes. down and they're replacing it with a new system. Yes. But for while we were there, your option is to stand in line if you want to ride on something. Right. Um, and so we spent probably between 45 minutes and two hours in line <clears throat> for each attraction that we wanted to ride on. That is rough. And the staffers were telling us, oh, this is this is low volume. Like, oh, man, you guys are doing just fine. Um, and at the end of all but one rides across the three parks we visited, I thought. A hundred percent, I would have rather had that hour or two hours with a good book on my couch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't specifically designed for you it was really well, designed is, for you to do with your children this is this is my actual rant my rant is not that disney World okay. is kind of lame it's that here we go i bet 80 percent of the people there were adults with no children i find that so troubling there were grown men and women i i i, I am prone to hyperbole steven and i'm trying so hard to not i okay. don't i don't think there's any way i want to say it was 90 percent, but there's no way it was less than half of the adults that i walked by that had on some disney mickey mouse yes shirt or of course outfit it's like their or, favorite team and i'm thinking i kind of got excited going in because i'm like well it seems like they've made disney world awesome for adults now um and they, it, it's exactly what it was when i was 11 which Weird. is like there's a few sort of roller coastery things. Most of the rides, you sit on a little boat or trolley right. of some sort right. and get slowly, <laughs> slowly right. pulled through uh, some mannequins and some music. Yes, um, it's a small world. Yeah, it's a small world. Did have a little moment of delight because I don't know if you've been on that ride before, but it's I have. You go through different, different lands and the little dolls yes. are dressed. And the redneck couple behind me was just like, oh, honey, like we're clearly in Egypt. There's pyramids, there's <laughs> yes. Pharaoh. And they're like, honey, this is Germany. Uh, and <laughs> they weren't joking. It was like, bro, if I, I had an it. audio recording of that and I could overlay it with a video of It's a Small World, I would get a million views on YouTube. You would, so you would, you'd be a YouTube millionaire. Um, that's great so yeah I just couldn't I could not get my brain around grown I, I mean we stood in line for the Mickey and Minnie train which goes like four miles an hour through scenes of Mickey and Minnie dancing and the couple in front of us was 55 years old and just we love coming here and it oh was an hour and 30 minute line and they're just like this is we look forward to it. Our children are grown now, so it's just us. And I'm thinking how strange. So if you're a listener and this this is your thing and you think you could explain it to me, I'm all ears, but Yeah, yeah, knock yourself out. Well the the one caveat I have is the new Star Wars thing. Yeah. Was totally awesome. <laughs> and it was by far the lo I don't like I mean, I don't dislike Star Wars, but I'm not a Star Wars person. I haven't even seen all the movies. Yeah, um, yeah. But the detail. was it the Rebellion ride where you 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 can see the you can see a guy. There's an actual guy up on a landing, and then you go through. Uh, you, you're you're part of the story. A hundred percent. So yeah, yeah. There's there frequently at Disney, you're in line and you walk into a room, and they play a video. And yeah. you think, oh, we're about to get on. And then you come out of that room and they're like, here's another 40 minutes of waiting before you get on. Yeah. Well, that kind of happened at this ride, but the doors close. It's like the next 30 people go in here and watch this pre-ride thing. And they give you kind of the start of a story. You're new recruits and blah, blah, blah. Well, when the doors open, we are in a different location. Right. And there's 40 people standing there with guns pointed at us. <laughs> And they all are actors and they're interacting with us. They're grabbing my kids, like asking them questions. And it was so different than anything I've ever done. So that's great. Um, that's all I'll say. But 
that ride was by far the longest wait and it was the only one i thought was worth the wait so okay good to and know the, just the whole star wars area like lunch was there's this giant jet engine pointing down on on metal plates and they're roasting chickens with like a spaceship engine oh that's and cool it's like wow this is this feels like i'm on whatever this planet is in star wars movies uh, so is, is that at universal all of that stuff that is at what they call hollywood studios when i was a kid i think it was called mgm studios okay universal is harry potter land okay forget that so we want mgm amelia went to universal for a half day with the girls and i played golf but uh mgm for us hollywood studios was by far the most fun of all the parks okay. we visited good to magic know. kingdom big, big sort of sad to say by far the lamest Wow. I don't think there was one cool thing at Magic Kingdom except Space Mountain's kind of fun cuz you did it when you were a kid and and so that did was Did you do did you do the 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 Snow White the Dwarves Mine Train ride? Uh it has changed to just the mine yeah, yeah, we did it. That was fine. I think that's a pretty good ride. Yeah, but there's a mine train at every Six Flags too and it's basically the same kind of Yeah, but it doesn't have Sleepy and Doc tinking to, to to free up a diamond well the cool thing about the mine train ride is it notches you up like chicka 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 you know right before yeah. the drop you're in a tunnel so you can't yeah. see outside and when we got on the ride it's like just an overcast day well when we come out of that tunnel into the 50 mile an hour drop it is pouring rain and the whole ride, we're just, it. we might as well have jumped in a swimming pool because we were head to toe soaked. And I was kind oh of angry about it for the first two seconds. And then I was like, no, this is actually pretty cool. And <laughs> it was the last thing we did that day. And I think family memory wise, we will always remember the time that we got just blasted on the, That's the great. train. That's great. Uh, last Disney question. Um, I know because I'm being marketed to very hard right now that we're in the midst of a very, very special time in the Magic Kingdom. It's the 50th anniversary of Disney World. What, what, what can you tell us about the 50th anniversary experience? I said that to Amelia when we pulled up. I said, it's the 50th anniversary. Wow. I wonder what they're going to do. Nothing. Cancel the fast pass lanes, I guess, so that it feels like back when they first opened it, you yeah. have to wait in the line. I don't know. Like, I just felt like it was let down upon let down because even we stayed at a Disney, wow. a Disney branded hotel. And one of the benefits is you get into the park early. And right. I'm thinking, cool. So we show up an hour before they open it to the public. Well, they don't tell you that you get into the park early, but they don't open the rides early. What? So we stood in the sun for an hour to be first in line. I'm like, we could have just came at the normal time and stood in oh the normal line. For the, I don't know. Uh, That's a bummer. I was very, very happy that at the end, my wife, because I love seeing the girls. I think they had a good time. Yeah. I, I did not have a bad time on this vacation. It just kind of confused me, but... At the end, my wife said, that was really fun. We're never doing it again. And wow. Thought, yeah. Excellent. We're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are usually on the same page. I'm hesitant to say this on the Abraham's Walt podcast, but I'll also tell you, they scan you in and do a fingerprint to come into the park. Like you, right. you either have a bracelet or your phone. Yeah, that's right. Not once did they successfully get all of our kids scanned in if you really? had if you had five kids you could easily all go to disney world with three tickets for sure it's this mad chaotic scene at the gate and they're just stressed out like oh did everybody want to get, get the people through Dude, go ahead okay you're all in go i'm just right. like man a less honest person could have could have bought fewer of these tickets yeah well, we've done several events at, at Disney. We seem to turn up there every couple of years because because people want to do events there. Um, 
And so I'm a little, uh, I'm a little more educated about that scene than I would be otherwise. But it is a, it is an American uh, institution that's interest always interesting to look at to see how are they changing things. One from a marketing standpoint, I mean they're they are they they do set the standard as far as customer service goes. They try to they try to go out of their way, um, and everybody's familiar with it. It's 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 funny. It's more like every there's a better chance that everybody you know has been to a Disney property than that everybody's been to the Grand Canyon, which I would think that's a kind of an important uh, American landmark or the Statue of Liberty or something like that. So it's, it's an interesting touch point for everybody. It reminded me of Las Vegas in the sense of Las, Las Vegas is this place where you have the two polar ends of the societal spectrum in one zone totally. you've got the multi multi gazillionaire who's placing two hundred thousand dollar bets at the tables and you've got you know nickel billy slots jo- billy joe who's walking the strip with the three foot tall margarita uh yep. strapped You're around right. his neck and You're disney right. is the same way you've got it, it it's a it's a real mixing bowl and I can't help but to to, uh, to Abraham's wallatize this conversation. I can't help when I walk around both of those places and I look at the people around me, say at Disney, and go, 80% of you bought these tickets on credit and you can't actually afford to be here right now. I just can't help it. I can't help it because it's so expensive to get in there. And if you have a family, it's my goodness. If you eat there and stay there and, and go there for a day of entertainment, it's dough and you look around and just go these people can't afford this but it's uh i don't know it's a it's a rite of passage for some for families for some somehow yes all right let's start talking in earnest here's what we're here to talk about today we're here to talk about running men's groups so i want to contextualize that a little bit before we before we even start into like giving answers to questions um and I'll just say how I came to how I came to the subject of meeting with groups of men. So my way into this world was not I want um, some accountability around me. It wasn't I need support. It certainly wasn't the sort of apocalyptic 2020 idea that I'm going to have to have some guys around me that that are going to have my back when I get canceled and know how to use a handgun and we can all share property somewhere. It was it wasn't any of that. It was that I had a friend who described to me these biblical mandates. The, there are biblical mandates for making disciples. So the, the first command in the Bible to Adam and Eve is that they reproduce. That's that's this command that's given to humanity by God, which is, I want you to make more of yourself. One of the last commands that Jesus gives before he leaves earth, Matthew 28, he gives the command that you reproduce. So it's like these bookends at the beginning of humanity when God first spoke to humanity and the last words of Jesus are reproduce yourself. And Jesus said, Matthew 28, 18, if you grew up as a Baptist, you know this verse, it's known as the Great Commission, go, or or it could be translated, as you're going, make disciples of all nations, and teach them how to obey, teach them how to obey in everything, and baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'm with you in this endeavor till the end of the age. So there's this command, go and make disciples. So when I was a young man, I understood or heard these commands, thought, well, this is our job. How, how do I do this? Well, I'll just say this is such a, a huge, important command. I would even say the stuff that we do with finances, with Abraham's wallet, with Outpost, anything else that we do, it's under the auspices that we actually want to make disciples. We're trying to make disciples of Jesus. So we just happen to think that financial, the financial arena is one that has been largely jettisoned by, by mass Christian um, culture. 
and we want to we want to reclaim it because we want to make disciples, fully fledged disciples who are able to be elders and are able to lead and minister, etc. The, the, all that to say the goal is making disciples and and I, I'm not gonna I, I could talk for hours on this subject alone I'll just recommend a couple of really easy reads if if this is new information to you um, the lost art of discipleship by Leroy Imes e-i-m-s good old Leroy wrote the book the lost art of discipleship um, there's another book called Jesus disciple maker that's a book by Hull. Now I could I could give you more references. That's just, just a good it's just a good background to go, okay, we're in the disciple making business and even I I'm a disciple in process. I want to be a more devoted, complete, sold out, trained and equipped and mature disciple and I want to be making those around me. That's that's the idea. I recently fielded an email from somebody who had listened, you and I talked, Mark, about uh, guys groups before, and uh, somebody wrote in and, and just said, I listened to your podcast on starting men's groups, and I've been leading men's groups for years. It's, it's encouraging to get fresh ideas, and I've got some questions. And um, his questions are, how long are your typical meetings? Where do you do these? Do you meet for a certain length of time, et cetera? He just wants some practical, what, what do your meetings look like? So I just thought it might be helpful to describe for people. Let, I'm assuming, let's say you're a 30-year-old guy listening to this, and you go, I, I would like to have some guys around me um, who wanted to follow Jesus as, as earnestly and with as much passion as I do, but I don't see them. I, it looks like there's kind of interested church guys around me. They're kind of nice guys, and I, and I can't find much more than that. What, what, what can I do? Um, I can tell you my, my answer to that question is really simple. Make them. Create the kind of men that you want to be around. Create the community that you want to live in. Um, uh, when I when I first came to Cincinnati, that's how I felt. Um, I'm, um, I'm sure there were wonderful Jesus lovers here, but I didn't know them. And when I moved to this city, I was asking God and praying for God. Where are the guys? Where is my where is my community? And I think of that as my church. I mean, I think my church is a network of believers that I'm connected to who are all pursuing the Lord. And I didn't know where my church was. I, where are the, where are my men? And I felt God say to me, this, this is the first time he said this, he's not necessarily saying this to everybody at all times, but I felt like I heard God saying to me, you're going to make that community. You're going to make the community that you long for. Well, fortunately, over the years, I had had these tools that we're going to be describing so that I could start working with guys in ones and twos. And you've told the story before, Mark, I know on the episode that was the, the intro to Mark, you talked about um, the meeting that I had with you where I just reached out to you and said, hey, um, I do you want to follow Jesus? I do. Maybe we could start meeting together. And if, if I was starting from scratch, if I had to move to a new city today, I would ask God, show me a couple of guys that I can invite into having a, having a more uh, purposeful and hopefully passionate uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit and with the scriptures and that we can do that better together than we could do apart. So here's what I would do. We've mentioned before a document that I wrote years ago called Manual's Manual. It's a very simple little document where I put together, well, here's what, here's what I know to do because uh, I was being asked this question a lot. And I talk, I talk in there in that document about finding the men. There's a couple of ways to do that, but just in short, look for them and ask God to, to bring them to you. Just highlight, it could be a guy that you meet in a totally random spot. You're both watching a, a softball game and you strike up a conversation with the guy beside you. He seems to be a church guy. You're kind of like, I kind of would get along with this guy. I'm, I, think, I think maybe there's something here. And just say to him, hey, maybe we could get together sometime. Um, 
And I don't know, talk about, talk about what your Christian life looks like. What's that for you? Is it just going to church for you or what, what's the story? And when I start that thing up with guys at that first meeting, let's, so let's say it's, it is this guy at the softball game. I say, Hey, I'd like to get to know you better. Um, why don't we meet up for coffee sometime? We meet up and at that meeting, I would describe my spiritual history to him. I'd tell him the story of my life which I kind of did in the intro to Stephen, where I like, this is when I was born again. This is what it's been like for me along the way. These are my frustrations. These are big moments for me spiritually. And I'd ask for the same from him. And I'd really interview him to try to get to know where is he at? What does he want? Does he really want God? I'll come back to that point in a second. Um, and then I would talk to, I, I would talk to the guy about the, biblical ideal of discipleship that well here's what I here's what I see Ron Ron I, it feels like we're supposed to be becoming more like Jesus I know that Romans eight twenty eight says we're supposed to be conformed into his image and I and I gosh I struggle to find guys around me who are who want that and who really want everything not not to just go along to church but want the truth of what Jesus called us to are you interested in that is that where you're headed huh well and and let's assume I mean I, I would hope that the guy a lot of times you talk this way and a light bulb goes on to the guy and he's like yes nobody's I can't find people who say that but yeah that's how I feel I I mean I'm born again but I don't know does that just mean we're supposed to go around the merry-go-round of church attendance forever I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do well you know what I always say I've had guys help me I've read some books I know some stuff that we could do together that that would help propel us forward okay let's say the guy goes hey I've, I mean let's say that it's like uh, you or Mark hey I don't know nobody's ever tried to do that with me that sounds great let's give it a shot and then I talk about what these meetings will look like. And that's what our, our email question was. Okay, what happens when you get together? Well, over the years, I've become more open to walking a guy through what you might think of as curriculum. Meaning, I know that he's going to have to get his head around how to spend time with God. I know he's going to have to get his head around how to how to turn the Bible into bite-sized chunks that he can negotiate with God and get those into his heart. I know that. I also know that leadership is something he's going to have to get his head around and some of the eldership kind of concepts that we've talked about. Eventually, he's going to have to get his head around how family works. We're going to have to talk about finances. Um, we'll have to get into some five capitals kind of discussions. And most of my experience with guys, we've just hit on those things as it's come up. If you want a layout of, well, here's a curriculum that you could walk through. There are books that do that. For instance, there's a huddle guide that, that Mike Breen wrote that describes that, how to run a huddle. Um, he calls them huddles, which is a discipleship relationship back to football. I still have meeting in homes. Uh, do you remember that little book? Yes. That was, that was by uh, Frank Viola. Gathering. Oh, in yeah. Homes. Yes, yes, yes. Frank this Viola. Pamphlet. Yes. Similar, yes. similar idea. Yes. But I don't think you need any of that stuff. I don't, I don't think you need a curriculum. I don't think you need to go, well, we've got to hit these 12 topics in the next two years. I don't think you need that. I think really what people need is some shepherding and some oversight from people who here's a very important important phrase people who have been one step ahead of where they are that's what people need somebody who's one step ahead of where they are so if you think well i've only been following jesus for two years and i haven't really done that very good so i don't really think i could help anybody else yes you could you could help somebody that is brand new to the faith you could help somebody who doesn't know the Lord at all and you could tell them your story and help them along or you could help somebody who has been following the Lord for I don't know one year but they didn't do it very well great you can you can be help uh, to anybody you're one step ahead of where they're you see this with children a five-year-old is very helpful to a two-year-old 
well, well maybe they don't know anything yeah they do they 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 know what it's like to be two and to be frustrated and they they can help so we should be the same way spiritually where we're just willing to help people so just to get into these practicals that were asked in this uh in this uh email i'm a little bit persnickety have become this way because over the years i've tried many permutations of meeting with guys and i'll, I'll just say for me the weekly meeting when we all meet together that should be 90 minutes to two hours long. And I say that because we have to have enough time that nobody's looking at their watch going like, okay, now what, this hour, we've got an hour, is it over now? We have to have time for guys to share their hearts. There might be some prayer that's happening. We have to be able to discuss. And, and I'm thinking there's three, I like, <laughs> I like there to be three guys, me and two other guys. If you, if you tell me, okay, there's got to be four other guys, okay, I'm willing to make that compromise, but it is a compromise. There will be something lost. The best experience for the follower, the follower guys, is if there's two of them and you. That means they have one peer beside them that's sharpening them and pushing them, but they fully have your attention. They fully have the platform. Nobody can get lost in a group of three in 90 minutes. Nobody's going to get lost. But if there's a group of five in 90 minute uh, time, one or two of those guys can be lost. They can hide. They can deflect with their answers to questions. Um, and you can't do that with three people. So I like three guys. I like 90 to two hours, 90 minutes to two hours for that meeting. Um, the question uh, the question was where do you meet I, I have opinions about this as well I think the very best place you can meet is in somebody's home uh, I think that the headquarters of the church of Jesus Christ is a home and I think that a home is the best place uh, you can meet at a restaurant or coffee shop if you want and then you tell me what happens when uh, somebody starts manifesting or somebody starts um, weeping or it's time to lay, we both need to stand up and lay hands on this guy, guy to pray for him. <clears throat> you can do that in a park if you want to. I don't think it's the best place. It doesn't feel the safest for somebody to express and emote and struggle. I think in a home is the best place for that. And uh, I think the home of the leader is the very, very best place. Um, I was asked, do you typically, typically meet for a certain length of time? Um, my, my short answer to that is no. If I was just getting started, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, that's not how I would start. I, I wouldn't start by putting a time limit on it. I would just say, I feel kind of called to or assigned to a relationship with you. I would have said something like that to you, Mark, and said, I, God's put you on my heart, and I've been praying about you, and I, 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 think, uh, I think we could do something really cool. I think we'd have a relationship that would, um, that would serve you, and I want to serve you. So that's what I'm thinking, and if somebody has a, uh, fearsome attitude towards somebody helping them that might scare them but most people will go well, you want to help me seriously okay well let's talk um, I got to the place in Cincinnati at one point where there were many many guys that wanted my time and so I did put a time frame on it okay let's meet for two years I'll just talk about the meeting real quick how the meeting itself happens and it's very simple. My expectation is that every guy that I meet with will want God. It's a very <laughs> important idea. Um, Colossians 2.6 says, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and established in that which you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And I... I go over that verse with guys when I sit down with them and just say, look, I can teach you and I can help establish you in things that God is saying to you. That's, ma that's mainly what our topic is, is whatever God is talking to you about, that's what we're going to talk about. But what I can't do for you is give you a heart 
that is after God. I can't, I can't beg, prod, or plead with you so that you want to spend time with him, that you have a thankful heart, that you have an eager heart toward him, and I'm not going to try to do that. If you don't have that, we don't have anywhere to go. So you're going to have to go deal with him on your own for that. If you want him, we, we, can, we got all day. So my expectation is that guys are spending time with God on their own, um, and they're doing that in the pages of Scripture. Now, I might have to model that for them. Uh, we might have to, we'll probably have to do that together for a little while for them to understand what spending time with God looks like and how to interact with him in prayer and in his word. And, and I do show them that. Um, so that, that's a foundational thing. When we get together, we simply report to each other what is God saying to you? Let's open our Bibles. I have a notebook open and a pen. Now you teach me what God is showing you in the word. Go. And he's got to have an answer to that question. And, and hopefully he'll have questions about what, what God's saying. And then he's going to get into his personal life. Here's why God's saying that to me. Because I'm having issues with the girl that I'm dating. Oh, okay. Let's talk about that. And that's much of the content of the, of the meeting and then prayer, prayer together is a huge topic of the, of the meeting. We're just going to talk to God about the things that are happening in these guys' lives. As they're spending time with God, what we're ta- what's kind of coming to the surface as we're talking. Um, and so we, we pray together. And we, uh, one thing that I like to do, I learned this from Mike Breen, is to give guys to-dos based on the things they're hearing uh, from God. So you, you, God is talking to you about, your, about giving, and you realize, gosh, I have not been giving. Okay, well, if this is most Bible studies, you go, wow, that's really interesting that you haven't been giving. Let's pray together. Have a great week. See you next week. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is that I am your friend, so I'm holding your feet to the fire to obey him. And I would even say your relationship with me to some degree is contingent upon you obeying him. And you, listen, I mean, I would grab a guy by the lapels. We both want him, don't we? Okay, let's, we have to obey him. Wanting him and obeying him are the same thing. So if you say that he's convicted you about giving, tell me where you're going to give this week where you're going to make it happen. Well, okay, I'm going to put this thing in, in place in my bank account. I'm going to have this talk with my wife, and I know I have to give $1,000 this week somewhere. I just have to give it. Okay, you're going to do that before we meet together next week. So I think that's on me as the leader to kind of walk through, okay, here's what obedience might look like for you and I'm not and I'm not trying to be the dictator I want you to hear that I'm listening to what God is doing in this guy's life I'm listening to what he's doing in the scriptures and then I reflect back to him now here's a suggestion of what obedience might look like for you and then I will ask him how does that feel what does that feel about yeah a lot of times I go, yeah that feels about right yeah yeah okay great I'm writing that down and by next week you will have done this okay great and so all I'm doing is uh, my job is to help them apply what they're, what God is saying to them. Uh, it's, it's as easy as that. And I'm a, just a shepherd to help them through whatever's going on. They're, it's not the Stephen plan that they're on. They're on the Holy Spirit's plan of what he's doing in them. And I'm just supposed to help push it along. All right. Is... Uh, is there an expectation that at the time, at the another question from the email guy, is there an expectation at the end of your time together that guys will start their own group? Well, one of the things that I will certainly be talking about when I'm meeting with guys is the concept of discipleship. It runs throughout Jesus's ministry. We can see it in Paul's life. Um, it, um, Elijah and Elisha. John the Baptist. We see all of these guys who make disciples. So I am going to be they are, I'm going to be describing to them why I'm doing what I'm doing with them. Um, and it, I wouldn't say it's an expectation. They're going to start their own group after it. But before we finish, I'm going to be asking them, has God put somebody on your heart to disciple that just, just to look after? It might be a seventh grader. And, and 
I mean, because I've worked with guys who are 18 and there's a there is a 12 year old in their world somewhere that I think God wants me to kind of look after this guy. Great. How are you going to do that? And I want to help him again. I want to apply him to apply what he's feeling. So how are you going to do that? Well, I mean, I've got my driver's license. He needs to go to baseball games. I could take him to baseball games. Wow, that's an incredible way to serve. That'll make that 12-year-old feel so cool if, this, if a 17-year-old is taking them to baseball games. You could talk to him about his faith during that. That's wonderful. So I wouldn't say I expect groups exactly. What I expect is that the DNA of discipleship and reproduction gets into them. Um, Okay, so that gosh, I can't. I'm 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 so bored of hearing myself talk. Um, there it is. There's running groups of of guys that you're that you're leading, which that last one about guys starting their own groups and getting the DNA of discipleship into them. You're a great example of that, Mark, of somebody who is who has spun off into helping guys in all kinds of ways, and 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 even for yourself seeing what I what I now I didn't see it at age 21 but I certainly see it now that I need peers around me to help hold me up so let's talk about uh, let's talk about having groups of peers around you and how how do you make a group of guys you move to Salt Lake City you now have a group of guys that meet that you consider to be peers you might be leading that group because it's it's at your house at least sometimes but tell us where how do you do get there from here yeah, I, I think that the how to run a men's group episode, I mean, I heard everything you said there and said, I want to do this. So I, I, I'll talk about like learnings now yeah. that I've been trying it for a little while. But if you really want to know the how to, that's for a peer group, which I think is a little different. You know, when you and I started meeting, we met one on one for a while and then you brought in one other person that you had been meeting one-on-one -on -one with. Yep. And we met as a group. Um, and that was great. I think that I just have to imagine everyone listening to this has been in a Bible study that they were kind of like, uh, oh, it's Bible study, of course. It's a small group. And like, oh, we're going to talk about the sermon or we're going to read through a book of the Bible and those can be super dynamic and awesome, but, and sometimes they're even just intellectually stimulating. Like if you find a great teacher, go listen to them teach. That's there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a very different thing than what you described in the, how to make a great men's group episode. And I think there's some things about men specifically that don't always feel super satisfied if, if it's a sit around and talk. Uh, no. type setting so i just don't think we're built for our primary mode of connection to be like at the coffee shop sharing our feelings yes um, and so i i did some thinking and i i had a at least one person that came to mind immediately when i thought well what would a group of guys look like where the main purpose of the meeting is to challenge each other to take discrete action based on the things that we are learning or hearing from the Lord. And so that could be, hey guys, this is a sin that continues to come up. Okay, well, instead of just saying what I would say at most guys group I've seen, which is like, oh, we'll pray for you, brother. Maybe we'll even pray for you right now that you would be able to get over that. Instead of that take, this group is going to have a much more, um, <laughs> we're going to first dig into you until we hit bedrock yeah. on that question. So, okay, you say it's lust, but now I want to know what and how and right. where, right. and how is this impacting your marriage? And how is like, have you talked to your wife about this? No. Okay. Uh, and we'll just kind of like explore all the way down, but it's also, there's there's a let's deal with stuff now <laughs> attitude in the group. So if somebody's feeling depressed, uh, you know, 
there's just a bias in this group of guys that I meet with to say, we're going to deal with it now. We're going to ask the yes. Lord to deliver now. We're going to, uh, if there's health issues, we're going to expect healing. If there, there's guys in the group who have never experienced something from the Holy Spirit and want to, we're going to ask for that and give them some, some handrails to hold as they step into new things there. Um, if some guy says, Hey guys, I, I, uh, this is what I'm learning from the Lord. And then something comes out of their mouth that, that completely conflicts with, with scripture. Uh, every guy in the group, like we, we have a little rule in our group that, um, every guy in the group, when somebody teaches something must challenge it, uh, somehow or another. So there's no like, oh, thanks for sharing, Bill. It's you you are required to challenge something that That's was brought great. up. So, hey, you said this, but this is what I've been studying. And I don't think it matches with what you just taught from what you've been studying. How do you square these two things? Great. Every dude that's listening is loving what you're saying. It's very, is like afraid and interested to go. I would love to be a part of a group like that. That would be fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think we're just, how did we grow up? We grew up like wrestling with each other for fun. Yep. And I think guys, I don't know that girls don't enjoy this, but guys uniquely like to contend with each other and have guys that there's just a man. If you know that everybody's going to be kind of calling you to the carpet, you're going to prepare differently yeah. for a meeting even. Yeah. Um, and showing up empty handed would be like a, a record scratch. Like, wait, you don't have anything to, <laughs> to share. Yeah. Like, um, so it's just a very different vibe. So I, you know, I said, I don't meet every week. We meet every other week just on practical details. I find that whether it's church, small group or, Bible study or this type of men's group, it's really easy to overcommit and sort of start dreading. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, I love that meeting, but I just really could use time with right, my family right, tonight. Right. And so I feel like a every other week pattern works really well for us. My ideal location is around my fire pit in the backyard. Um because it takes time for logs to burn and it's kind of a good timer the we know once we sit down we're going to be there for a little while one of the big learnings that we have had in this group is the importance of like expectations on the front end if you're expecting that people will be encouraged to prophesy to each other well you you would want to say that to everybody who's who's considering joining this group, because if you have somebody who goes, I have no interest in that. Right. Uh, they could be entirely solid uh, brother otherwise, and it will be difficult to navigate that and it will probably not work. So um, be really clear on your expectations. Uh, yep on the front end and yep. and then also this might be exciting if you're built like me be willing to say this isn't working we're changing this group uh, and and mixing up the the people involved um you know if if somebody's just not bringing what's expected of the group yeah don't sit for too long it's okay to do this for a while but don't for too long have meetings where people are beating their heads against the wall or arguing or whatever. Like yeah. it doesn't mean that you hate somebody because you say this isn't the right match or the right fit. And so we've done that uh, is shuffled kind of what the group composition is. And I, I think in a way that like has preserved relationship and everybody goes, yeah, that's right. I didn't know what the expectation was and that's not what I'm interested in. Um, yeah. For some reason, though, in a guy's group, because it feels really personal, I think that there's risk when you go there. Um, there's risk of someone feeling like, well, I'm not good enough to be in this group when that that's not how people tend to feel. If you invite them to a Bible study and they go, I don't want to yeah. do that. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. I mean, it's just a little more personal. 
Well, I think it's a very important um, point that you articulate. Um, and I know that you've been a major part of creating the culture that there will be a important aspect of challenge that's a part of this men's group. So what we're used to is high invitation. You can just bring yourself, you can share your inmost person, you're only going to be affirmed and welcomed here. And we have to create men's groups where there's an equal expectation along with invitation that there will be challenge that's a part of it. And that's a part of discipleship. Look at the way, I mean, my goodness, Jesus turned on his heel to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have an interest, the things of God. I mean, he, he said to his guys, how long do I have to put up with your faithlessness, guys? How long do I have to put up with you? Strong language to the, the guys who had given everything to follow him because there is an expectation. Hey, we're going to go for it. Are we not going to go for it? And, um, well, that's another uh episode for a different day of just of when it's right to grab someone by the lapels and shake them something that I have physically done a couple of times with guys and uh, had great results um, because um, we need challenge because we're used to people soft peddling and and kid gloving us all over our lives and a, a disciple you know it's important to to consider that whether it's a peer group or a group that you are it's clear I'm the leader of this group it's important to understand what discipleship is and so a lot of times we need something physical like I'll give us an example coaching basketball something that I have done and know how to do so when you're coaching someone I'm working with my uh, my daughter's team right now okay here's how we shoot a basketball this is the proper form I'm going to leave you guys to do drills, do this drill for a while. Now I'm going down the line as everyone's doing this drills. That's not the right form, Susie. Your elbow goes here. Your feet are in the wrong place. Do it like this. Do it again. I don't, but I don't think about it. You will do it this way. You can do it this way. Do it. And she puts her elbow in the right place, her feet in the right place, and she tries it. And you go, that's right, Susie. That's how you do it. Now do that a hundred times I'll be right back that's discipleship is seeing what people are doing on the playing field of their life giving them purposeful coaching not to tear them down but to say you cannot do it that way don't do it that way it will hurt you I'm trying to cheerlead you to be in the right space so a, a good shepherd and a good discipler we can look at Paul. Sometimes he'll say, oh, my heart is being torn out for these people. And sometimes Paul is screaming at people and just going like, this is Satan at work. And, and we have to have both of those gears as a man who's leading. And I, I'll also just say this just, just to encourage just men meeting with men. There's something that men can give men meeting with one another that a woman, even the best wife, cannot provide you with. One thing is your wife isn't a peer to you of someone who's leading a family. She's not a peer to you because at the end of the day, the buck doesn't stop with her. It stops with you. So if you're going to compare notes with somebody, uh, your wife, there's a limited value of how you can compare notes to her. She can tell you how do you experience my leadership. She can do all that stuff and help you with, you know, how we're dealing with the kids. But really, when you have, okay, here's some shop questions that I have. This is the way I'm leading. These are my philosophies. This is what I'm thinking right now. You should be comparing notes with other family leaders. You should have men around you, and you talk about how are we leading our families? What does our private lives of devotion look like? What are we thinking that is the direction of the church in 5, 10, 20 years? How are we leading the people around us? Those are, that, those are men I should just say those are peer questions because they're not they're not men questions exactly. Wives should be asking these questions with other wives. They should be doing the Titus 2 thing where they're spending time with older, uh, been there, 
wives and mothers who they can ask their questions to. And I'm not saying that there's no uh, there's there's no um, cross pollination that happens between genders. I'm just saying there are some things that a group of men can do you do for you in sharpening and pushing you that women cannot do for you, including your own wife. So this is my this is me ringing the bell to just say these groups are important. I also want to throw in because it was in the email that I was first asked about the transition from, well, I'm leading the group. I'm the leader. You two guys are listening to me and you're doing what I say. You know, I'm putting quotes around that because I'm leading this group. I decide when we're meeting and for how long and that stuff. And at some point as you're grow, as you're maturing those guys, they become peers to you. Um, I always think of Proverbs 25, 15, I believe it's either 15, 25, or 25, 15, that says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And now we go back to the story that I told at the beginning, which was God told me you're going to build this community around you. I don't know if this is weird. Sometimes I ask myself, is this weird uh, megalomania on my part? But as I look around at the, the closest friends that I have in my in my Cincinnati world, they are not everyone. Almost everyone are guys that at some point I discipled and spent time with. And I consider them, I do not consider them to be guys that I'm leading. I do not right now. I don't consider them, I don't consider myself to be a father figure to them whatsoever. I've 100% consider these guys to be peers because they've grown up. They, they've paid the price in obedience. I know that they want God. I trust their input in my, in my life. I trust their feedback. They know me. I know them. And, and so there's something very natural that's supposed to happen. This is why, for me, this is one of the ways I interpret when Jesus says that the greatest love is friendship love. Okay, he says it's when, a, when you lay down your life for a friend. I'm just saying friendship love is the that's the end point of marriage for instance it's also the end point of having children because children grow up into maturity and then you have a peer that you walk beside and you have a friendship a, a, an actual friendship with them and that's how I feel about the guys that I have spent time with over the years I just trust them and know them and they do things that amaze me and impress me and I respect them because I know what their lives are like with God. So I would just say to this guy writing in that I would say any group in maturity that has that where people have grown to maturity, and I don't care if you're spending time with 17-year-olds or 45-year-olds, when that group is mature in how they follow um, the Lord, it'll be a group of peers because we're all brothers in this and we've all learned the same lessons. I've given you everything that I have in God, you've taken it, you've grown up, you've grown past me in some areas, you've given me some things that you have in God, and I, I think that's what the, the kingdom and maturity looks like, but um, we, we're supposed to be about the business of making disciples everywhere we go, including the, the our peers, the guys who are on the same level that we are, so my relationship with Mark would be an example where we're peers, and we have a job to do, which is to push one another. This is 1 Corinthians 10, doing everything we can to urge one another forward in love and good deeds. And so when he smells something weird in my life, Mark is very uh, ready to ask questions and to probe because he's in a He's constantly in an environment of invitation and challenge. He has created that environment. He likes that environment and and. I think that's what friendship looks like um, in maturity. So I don't know how to put a bow on this, but we need men in our lives and we need to create the kind of friends that we are after. Here, here. If you think I've kind of come up to be a peer of yours, when I think about this particular issue of discipleship, like I, I do disciple guys. I haven't created that, that truth of there's a, bunch of dudes all around me who are kind of grown up disciples. So I, I still feel like there's, there's some, some steps. Well, we're I'm all in process following you on, on that. So I really like to hear it. Um, and you're right. I like 
I like a, a high challenge. If you set me down and said, here's what you suck at, uh, that gets me pretty excited. Uh, so. <laughs> well, yeah, every, every guy that we respect is like that. Every guy that we that we want to be like. If you listen to some guy's podcast because you think he's a neat guy, he's not a bump on a log guy. He's not he's not taking life as it comes. He's pushing somewhere. That's why you like him. That's why you respect him. And that's what a disciple maker is. So we, we have to we have to encourage that kind of environment, that kind of culture in our men's groups. Yep. I guess we just bless these guys and let them let them go until next week. That's a great idea. Guys, I'm just blessing you. May, May, there's a verse that says your teachers will be hidden from you no more. If you're a guy who needs someone looking after you because you're new and green, may the Lord um, expose that those men that you need to go up to and say, I need your help. How do I get time with you? If you're a guy who can help somebody, may you know who those guys are, your Timothys that you can start collecting and spending time with. And if you have peers, you have two or three or four men around you that we all want God together, how can we how can we get together and light a fire between us so that we can all pursue them? May you have the courage and the gumption to go do it and start something so that you can have a crew around you that builds a furnace of passion for discipleship. May you all may you all find those men and may you connect with them and may we have relationships that make disciples of us all and build the kingdom. Bless you and thanks for listening today. Amen. See you next week.